Welcome to Amplify. Music from Ryan Malloy, his Gaelic Creek Lachlan, and we have a conversation with Ryan later in the episode. This is episode 38. Hello, Yvonne. How are you? Hi, Jonathan. I'm well, and I hope you are too. So we begin this episode with composer Nora Walsh, and you spoke to her this week. Yeah, as you know, Jonathan, earlier this month, Nora was announced as the winner of the 2021 Sean O'Reilly Composition Competition at the Cork International Choral Festival. And her piece for choir on a quiet day in the future is based on a poem by Peter Sir and will receive its premiere by Chamber Choir Ireland at St Finbar's Cathedral in Cork on the 30th of April as part of the Cork International Choral Festival. And that's very exciting for both her and for us as audiences. So I had a chat with Nora earlier in the week about winning the competition and about this new choral work. And of course, her immersion in and engagement with choral music, which is very much part of her practice. And we talked about what excites her about certain texts in choral settings. We did a little reminiscing too on her experiences of choral sketches, the CMC and Chamber Choir Ireland professional development initiative that Nora participated in a few years back. Let's have a listen to that now. Delighted that we're joined by Nora Walsh on this episode of Amplify. Welcome, Nora, and huge congratulations on being the winner of the 2021 Sean O'Reilly Composition Competition at the Cork International Choral Festival. Thanks very much, Yvonne. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, and yeah, I'm absolutely delighted with the win. Uh, a wonderful surprise. Great to be win- a winner of that particular competition. There are a few things about the Sean O'Reilly competition that I think are, are particularly terrific. Um, the fact that it's part of a, a choral festival and the Cork International Choral Festival, which is a, a very vibrant one and one of such great repute. And it means that the composer is brought into not just a one-off concert, but a whole festival over several days. And, uh, and, and that's terrific. And you have choirs from all over the country and from abroad that the the composer can both listen to and have their piece listened by. Um, Yeah, there's great opportunity for learning and exposure for everyone involved. 
And I, I guess, you know, also this wonderful experience of linking with Chamber Choir Ireland again. And they're no stranger to you, of course, um, because you were part of CMC's Choral Sketches project a few years back. And we, we might come to that. But um, yeah, really wonderful that Chamber Choir Ireland will, will perform the work at the festival. Yeah, I mean, that's really the icing on the cake, isn't it? Uh, a fabulous performance of the piece uh, during the festival you know, it, it couldn't be better. It couldn't be better. And the, the great promotion of, of Irish composed works for performance by Irish choirs. Uh, I, I can't wait. <laughs> As you say, it's a really a great, uh, it's great exposure for the work and for you as, as a composer and exposure to lots of different types of audience, as you've identified um, people very invested in choral singing, both from home and abroad, amateur and professional. And, you know, that's uh, very much, I suppose, where you're comfortable, Nora, you know, very much um, part of your artistic practice is writing choral music and conducting choral music and uh, being very much the, the kind of rock of the choirs that you run. Well, it, it's true. The the choral world is one that has always held a lot of appeal for me. And uh, writing vocal works is very important to my artistic output. And I think one of the main reasons for that is because of my interest in the text. When there is a text that inspires you, it just makes the process so so easy and yet so compelling at the same time. For this particular competition, uh, the text that uh, that I chose was by uh, Irish poet Peter Sir. And when I read it first, I was inspired by a, a number of things that he had put. The subject, for starters, it's about a house and how will the house cope when we are post-COVID. That element struck me as being slightly different from what was going on around us for the last year. I mean, we've been very focused on, on the human cost and the human tragedy. And rightly so, because we've gone through, you know, an enormous upheaval in our society in recent months. Um, but what I liked about his text was that it was something different. It was a, a distraction from our human pain and suffering. And he was worried about the house and how is the house going to get on when we've all left it. So I found that kind of intriguing. And then uh, the, the different elements that he mentioned in his poem about uh, what was going on in the house, everything from the, the mundane the maths and the French that we're doing, the wine that we're drinking, the laptops clicking. Uh, I found uh, some of those to be quite entertaining. And then he also attributed human sensibilities to the house. So it's all about how the house is going to feel. And he talks about um, when we turn the key in the door to leave, uh, the door will be an affronted door. Um, so he's he's bringing it he's bringing this shell as he describes it in other places to life, and giving it this these human qualities. And I thought that was uh, both interesting and entertaining and a bit of fun, um, and also very very thought provoking. It's a very reflective piece. As you say, you know, text is is the kind of compelling element for you. And when you were involved in the Choral Sketches programme with uh, CMC and Chamber Choir Ireland, you set a text that very much kind of, I remember listening to you talk about it at the time, and you said it really had resonated with you because of the, the homeless crisis, because the poem is called Pilgrim. 
And so I'm struck by what you say about the Peter Sir poem and the setting of that that poem by Catherine Ann Cullen. And also that I think you had a piece uh, during your time uh, as a student that was responding, a satirical piece that was responding to the recession. So I'm hearing a thread here about you as an artist responding to the world that you live in, responding to society. Yeah, I, I suppose the um, the subjects that interest me most are those that are contemporary subjects that are what's going on in the world around us now. And I suppose that's a very, it's a very obvious place for me to, to start. Um, and it's very comfortable because it's it's what I know and it's what's going on in the immediacy of my own personal life it, it is of course nice to to look back to different eras and to to look at what's going on in different parts of the world and be inspired by those too and that certainly does happen to me also but I suppose it's a very comfortable place and a natural place to begin you know within that both the the happy and the sad you know the serious and the light I think they all have their own different levels of appeal for different reasons and depending on your own personal mood you might decide you want to write something with a certain tone and to evoke certain situations or shine a light on something that you think needs attention drawn to it. One of the, the pieces that I've done before, it was called The Shoebox Coffin, and that was by Catherine Ann Cullen also. It's the first poem of hers that I set. And we've performed that with the, the choir Melotonics, which is a choir, an SATV choir that I conduct. We've performed that in quite a few different uh, venues across the country. And it gets uh, an enormous response. It's about um, her, her granddad who buried his second son, who would have been her uncle. And uh, when he was a baby, the, the child was just a baby and hadn't been baptized. And they weren't permitted to bury the child on sacred ground because of the, the customs at that time um, around children who weren't baptized. And it, it turned out that a, a lot of members of the audience of all the different venues that we performed it at had had a similar story and really related to it. So, so it brought great resonance um, to the audience. And I thought that was a very special a special moment and a special sharing that Catherine had done in this text several years ago that was now being brought to uh, this audience, a different audience than what she'd expected, and that was getting that kind of a response. It was, it was lovely. when you're approaching these texts so you know you're, you're reading the poems and you're thinking through your responses as a as a human being as an artist what's the next step for you then Nora in terms of I suppose the choral palette that you might use I mean I know that you've touched on extended vocal techniques in in some of your works other artists may read a text and they write a string quartet 
or they write a piano trio or it inspires a, an orchestral work. How do you move from reading the text to the next stage of your kind of engagement with it as a, as a composer? Well, I've been very fortunate in that the, the poets that I've worked with in the past have have given me permission to use the text and and basically said, go do what you will with it, which is lovely. And I think it's a I think it's a very sensible approach in many ways because they've expressed what they want in the words. And now it's moving on to a sort of a new journey, if you like. Um, so uh, so I have that freedom to, to start with. And then whatever it inspires, really, I, I write in, in a number of different, I suppose there's different stylistic elements. Um, what is called for, I, I think, is what I end up trying to do. So, for example, the, the piece that uh, won the Sean O'Reilly competition on a quiet day in the future is a very reflective, pondering kind of a piece. It's sort of being still in the moment in this shell of a house when everybody's gone and, and thinking about how it's feeling. And it, it's uh, it's got a fairly tonal anchor to it. Um, it deviates occasionally and it gets a little bit excited when we're getting through a list of things, of activities. So it's there's a little bit of... Uh, whether you call it word painting or it's representing the text in a sort of a very straightforward musical way. Um, But in other pieces, then uh, I'm drawn to being more experimental. And with the choral palette, you know, I think that everything you do is fairly natural, or at least it can be. Um, With Pilgrim, for example, that uh, the wonderful voices of Chamber Choir Ireland brought to life under the Choral Sketches programme, there was some really low guttural sounds that we explored effectively as low as the voice could go. And the pitching was less important than getting that low guttural sound. And that's that was to convey a, a mood and a, a desperation in the voice of the, the person who was saying the words. So it really, it really depends. I don't um I don't have preconceived notions about what it's going to be. When I'm, you know, when I'm thinking about the text, when I'm considering it initially, it's really what comes to mind and what is uh, what becomes inspiring. Well, Nora, it's been an absolute pleasure to um, have a chat with you um, about your works. And what's the, I suppose, you know, I'm conscious when I'm talking to people, uh, if they've uh, got a premiere coming up or they've won a competition, uh, that work now is is uh, in the past. What are you working on right now? What's the what's the uh, ink wet on the manuscript uh, for Nora Walsh? Well, when I'm not excited and delighted and looking forward to the Chamber Choir Ireland performance at the end of April, when I can take my mind off that, um, I'm working on a a horn and string quartet piece um, for later on this year. And Cormac O'Haydon and the Delmain String Quartet are working with me on that. So we're having uh, very interesting collaborative sessions uh, around what that's going to be. And it's, uh, yeah, it's great fun. Very exciting.
Her by Nora Walsh, ending that conversation with the composer. Next, composer and pianist Ryan Malloy. And I spoke to Ryan earlier in the month about his work, in particular his new album of music for Illum Pipes and Piano, Tempered. Ryan's so prolific, isn't he, Jonathan? And so many works that you've managed to squeeze in in this uh, conversation you had with him. And, uh, you know, he sits so comfortably in both worlds, doesn't he? Contemporary classical music and traditional Irish music. And so he can bring both of those worlds together in a meaningful way, I think, reminding me a lot of the late, great Michal O'Sullivan. And, of course, Ryan, like Michal was, is a very fine pianist and both are composer-performers, which you teased out, I think, very successfully in the course of your chat with him, Jonathan, meant so many of Ryan's works really celebrate and fuse um, these two worlds and uh, his musical imagination in both. I think in recent years, I've particularly enjoyed his harp concerto from a few years back, written as an RT Lyric FM commission for the station's 20th anniversary. And it's work I've come back to on a few occasions. And the second movement opens your conversation with Ryan. My name's Ryan Malloy. I'm a composer, a performer. My work varies from day to day. The bedrock of what I do is as a lecturer in composition at Maynooth University. And I find that keeps me grounded and allows me to go and do some of the other weird and wonderful stuff that I'm involved in, both as a composer and a performer. traditional Irish music background predominantly it has a strong influence on the music that I write and I write across traditional music through to classical arrangements and then into contemporary compositions that are you know perhaps in a very nuanced way influenced by traditional music but for me which are all coming from that same creative place which responds to music and materials in the same way kind of regardless of what medium they're in. Last time we did this, like sat down and as it were, and did a an interview about your work. It was the release in 2016 of your CD Inish Inish Fail. Inish Fail, yeah, that that's right, yeah, or Inish Foil, depending on what part of the world you come from. Yeah, God, that seems like an awful, awful long time ago. I listen back to that album sometimes. Ugh, it seems like a completely different person writing. What's different about it? Well, the album itself. I suppose, covers a wide chronological part of my 
early compositional life. So it presents three different piano works, one which was from like 2007, one from 2012. from 2015 or so. In some ways, I came to composition quite late. I mean, I did composition at school and what have you, but I went off and did a chemistry degree and kind of left music behind before coming back to do a master's and PhD in composition. And I really feel that it was only then when I came back to do the postgrad study in composition that I started properly learning about music. And so some of that early music is a real mixture of me discovering other music while I'm discovering my own music. So that's why I think it feels distant in some ways. One thing I do notice looking back at those pieces is the energy that I had in thinking about musical materials. Whereas I think now having a full-time teaching job, it's always a scramble trying to find the time to devote to composition. Sometimes you don't have the right amount of energy or time to think about how you want to shape things. And sometimes the things just get written. Sometimes you rely a lot more on your on your subconscious and your kind of your instinct to shape those things. I find that as I get older, some of the concerns that I would have had compositionally in the past about maybe trying to write in a certain style or trying to achieve a certain thing, maybe trying to establish what I wanted to say musically, I care about less. So I'm more likely to throw caution to the wind. And rather than consolidating how I write, that actually polarizes how I write. So some days I'll write a piece that's hugely traditional and not really care about any effort to mould in or meld in a kind of a, a contemporary sound world. And then other days I'll write something that's extremely contemporary with no real reference to trad music at all. I think all my music is still me and I'm, I don't care about that so much anymore. So that has changed and I think that has impacted on my workflow. You know, I'm a confused composer, performer, educator, and I kind of need all three of those things to be able to function as a whole. That's really interesting about what you just said about your identity as a composer. And, you know, when you were younger, you were more concerned with 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 the, I suppose, presenting a a complete image of of your yourself as a composer. I, I guess what where this goes is it is it it goes to the issue of the relationship between 
classical music and uh, traditional music and and how in i guess the classical music world there's been this sense of trying to trying to combine it and trying to present it in in one neat package i mean do you identify with 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 that I see where you're going with this, Jonathan. And, <laughs> and um, what I, I would have to say is this is one of the things where classical music and its relationship to traditional music has been problematic. Traditional music has never had to make a claim for its identity, really, in the modern sense. You know, of course, we'll not go into the historical difficulties that traditional music has faced. So there has never been an identity, an identity crisis on its part. And it's classical music that has tried to kind of grab traditional music and bring it into the fold to make it do the things that classical music has wanted to do. But then there have been many composers post Oreda who are doing things that are very natural to them in both languages. And that has only come out of the fact that the education afforded to these composers in both languages is equally strong. Uh, so there, it's coming from a very, very natural place, a place of, you know, kind of, of honest assimilation rather than juxtaposition. While some composers, particularly people who try to use traditional music with very little experience of traditional music, try to present that neatly manicured picture that you, that you, you referred to earlier on, I think the reality is very messy. And that's a good thing. And then, you know, so like these these conflicts are all positive, creative impulses, and they are inherently messy. Once you embrace that, you'll come closer to the to that right kind of mixture. There's still a huge amount that can be said. Uh, that has not been musically said thus far in how classical and, and traditional music mix. And sometimes I care a lot about that question and spend a lot of effort trying to answer that question. And I'd say about 60 to 70% of the time, I feel. The music still has to stand on its own two feet and you're responsible for making that so. And if you've managed to communicate something to somebody, the music's not a failure. So... It's very easy for oneself to place a particular piece in a box that, well, that doesn't, you know, this doesn't go together. In the same way that whenever, if I make any reference to the fact that I have a traditional music upbringing and I say this piece is influenced by traditional music, people suddenly have their magnifying glasses out looking for, you know, reels and jigs and other kinds of things. Thank you.
just going back to what you were saying about listening back or thinking back of early pieces and seeing them from a different a different time in relation to trying to assimilate or include traditional music or the influences that 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 has had on your music into your for want of a better word your works for classical you know forms or, or or instrumentalist ensembles has that changed over over time like for instance were you concerned with with a, a different element of of that question 10 years ago than than you are now 10 years ago i would have been in the middle of my phd and i was approaching a lot of these questions from a very research oriented perspective here's a very clear research question how can I use ornamental frameworks in traditional Irish music in my contemporary compositional output? So there's a question and I want to answer it in this following way and I want to look at it in a particular piece for X, Y and Z. There was a very kind of a, a methodical approach to what I was doing. And the more I dug deeper into those things, the more I realized there was just so much more work to do. Since then, I've become less concerned about individual research questions and more of about and a kind of an organic whole that is just what I naturally express as a composer who happens to have this particular background, which I think has given rise to the, the various different levels of clarity is not the right word, but the different levels of obviousness with which that material is present in in in, in my pieces. I look over works that I've written since I've started teaching full time and they do all do very different things. So the questioning is is still there, but I think there's a more macroscopic view in stylistic terms about how uh, how it's all just part of what I uh, what I do. I released a, a, a solo piano album, Pianophony. I was scared to death of doing something like that because I'm, I mean, I have always been, especially in traditional terms, a piano accompanist and, and a fiddler. And so to record something that was piano solo scared me. And the only reason I did it was because I had applied for a commission um, that I really wanted to do. And I said to myself, if I get this commission, that's going to be my summer sorted. And if I don't get this commission, then I'm going to take that as a sign that I need to focus on my performance. And I didn't get the commission. So I said, right, well, I said I would do this album and that's so that's, that's what I did. So I spent the time during the summer um, recording the, the solo album. And I think ever since I did that and drew a line under that particular fear that I had, which I still have, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I don't think that'll ever go away. But um, as I kind of increase my focus on performance, it has in turn impacted on how I approach things compositionally. Mm -hmm. 
relationship between you know being a composer and being a performer i mean it seems it seems in many cases that they're they're almost composers who who are active performers the music that they write is often different and i don't mean it i don't mean it in a, in a technical sense that you know it's playable or or whatever but it, it just there's something there's something it's again i can't put my finger on it but there, it, it, there's a difference there as you say it's not it's not necessarily a technical thing although sometimes it can come out in that way but i think it's it's sometimes it's a a real visceral sense of the evolution of musical material in time a performer has that sense almost more inbuilt than a composer because they are dealing with things in real time, they will know when something should naturally come to an end. They they will feel that, well, yeah, this this particular gesture is done or the piece really should have ended five minutes ago. And again, it's a very, a very visceral relationship with the material. Whereas in the focus of composition, and I know this all too well because it's one of my own particular technical bugbears that I mess up, you know, time and time again, it's easy to be far too focused and not have that objectivity to know when material needs to develop more or material has outstayed its welcome or the piece is outstayed its welcome. I know in a very kind of practical sense, it has impacted how I've worked on these pieces and I'm, I'm writing at the minute. They are both very, very traditional oriented works. One is um, the King House Commission for 2021. And the remit of that commission was to work with traditional performers and classical performers to create a 20 minute suite that had to involve piano. I sold myself as being the pianist who has some classical chops, but also traditional chops and therefore a much more natural sight of combining those two things. Because I know I'm writing for myself, it has impacted how I'm writing for people around me and how I know I'm going to coordinate that work or how we will need to coordinate that work in, in the limited rehearsal time that we'll have. you know recent piece of work that i came across which is just released in the last number of weeks and that features yourself also on piano with not one illum piper but five illum pipers when i think of illum pipes and i think of piano the only thing that sticks in my head is that awful vamping that you used to get tell me about this 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 project and and how you approach it and and and, and why you did it Ellen pipes and piano are traditionally not a fantastic combination of instruments because of their differences in timbre and differences in tuning. And the differences in timbre really are only are amplified by the differences in tuning. I did a concert a couple of years ago um, with a piper called Louise Mulcahy in Minuth. So while she was tuning up, I realized I was just a million miles from where she needed to be. So I started doing some just local tweaking on my keyboard, trying to adjust the, the master tuning down to meet her pipes. So um, already that helped. 
that was kind of, we were off to a good start. And I loved the challenge of playing with the pipes because they occupy three distinct registers with the chanters very much in the melody register. The regs are somewhere kind of in the, the alto tenor region. And then the drones obviously way down the bass. And as an accompanist, you can't get in the way of any of those things. You know, quite the contrary, you have to highlight them and, you know, bring them out. So that's a real challenge. You can't just vamp. During my PhD, I had done a kind of a third of it on microtonality in traditional Irish music, particularly amongst older performers and the systematic use of microintervals by those performers. I was kind of comfortable with the notion that the pipes are doing something different. They have their own internal tuning system. It's based generally on just intonation with some kind of local tweaks. And I decided if I'm able to get the, the master tuning of the piano to match that of the pipes, what if I'm able to play with the tuning of the individual notes of the piano itself to try and get even closer to the pipes? applied for funding from the Arts Council through their JESH recording and publication scheme to pay five pipers to come and record and to try this out. So I got them to send me their recordings in advance so I could learn their pipes essentially to see where their pipes were sitting to try and work out the nooks and crannies because even with the best one in the world I could match the tuning of each note in the piano exactly to that of the pipes, but it wouldn't necessarily work because the harmony of the piano has to make sense, whereas the pipes are largely concerned you know, with, with linear, horizontal melody. It was almost as if like something had just locked into place and the piano and pipes then suddenly sounded really nice. The blend for me was actually, it was almost orchestral because you were covering this huge spectrum of the register, right down from the kind of the lowest register of the piano through the bass of the pipes into that mid region of the piano and the regs into the melody. It was just a real solid organ-like orchestral sound.
and having recorded that album, it would certainly impact on how I would write for a chamber ensemble or even an orchestral piece that incorporated Ellen Pipes. I was prepping for this and I was looking back over your works and your recent projects and I saw Lewis uh, that was that was it was premiered by the Irish Chamber Orchestra right smack bang in the middle of a pandemic that in itself is an unusual thing for a composer because as we all know with performances being decimated and as a result projects been shelved or canned or whatever or postponed I was interested to know what that actually felt like for you as as a as a composer tying it back to the to the start of the conversation where you were talking about your earlier works and seeing them very much at this point in time and you know I suppose talking about your relationship with with individual works I mean does this work take on more significance now because of the circumstances in which it was composed and premiered? Perhaps it does I mean there was a huge buzz around the time of the premiere not only for me but I think for the orchestra too. September last year that it was premiered and the weather was lovely and people were kind of emerging out what we thought was the other side of the the pandemic so there was a real a real buzz I I can remember as clear as day walking into the ICO studio and hearing just live music for the first time it was unreal and I just kind of it really underlined for me the fact that we need the physicality of live sound. Hearing musicians in the flesh making music that literally hits you in the face is is something else. And the orchestra were really feeding off that too, because I think it was their first gig since the pandemic had started. So they were fired up, I was fired up, and the piece was a really energetic piece. It was meant to be a celebratory piece that Lyric FM had commissioned for the ICO's 50th birthday. It oscillates between a kind of a minimalist string sound and a kind of a trad reel. And that was quite deliberately done because they have experience with traditional music and they got it.
Patrick, thanks so much for your time and your, your thoughts and contributions. Thank you for putting up with me, Jonathan. <laughs> Hopefully see you in person soon at something or other. Ryan Malloy's Lusk, performed by the Irish Chamber Orchestra. For a full list of all the music used throughout the episode, please see the show notes or visit cmc.ie forward slash amplify. That's all for this week. Join us again in two weeks time. Until then, bye for now.